0: Hello, and welcome to Coaster Kings Radio. I'm Ian O'Donnell, and today we continue our ongoing mini-sode series, The Regional Park Story. Even before the opening of King's Island, Taft Broadcasting was thinking about expanding further into the regional park market. With King's Island's successful first season in 1972, these plans quickly moved forward, and Taft, in partnership with Top Value Enterprises, quickly began development of the park for the Mid-Atlantic region. A 740-acre wooded site in Doswell, Virginia was selected, and construction began in late 1972. Doswell sits about 20 minutes outside of Richmond, Virginia, and about an hour and a half drive from Washington, D.C., making it the primary regional theme park for the growing D.C. metropolitan area. D.C.'s black-owned suburban gardens had been a victim of the World War II, closing in 1940, and nearby Maryland's long-segregated Glen Echo Park had closed in 1969. Unlike King's Island, there was no beloved amusement park from which King's Dominion would be able to move assets, and a park was developed as a true sister to King's Island. With the massive popularity of the racer at King's Island, the team decided to run their racing PTC Woody, to be named the Rebel Yell, alongside the back far end of the park, creating a visual backdrop that would run the entire park. This was augmented by a large man-made lake, dubbed Lake Charles, which provided space for water ski shows and reflected the majority of the Rebel Yell's very picturesque layout. The rest of the park consisted of a modified version of King's Island's four-leaf clover design. International Street would remain anchored by the Eiffel Tower, a happy land of Hanna-Barbera located to the left of the entrance versus King's Island's right, an old Virginia frontier-themed area, Coney Island, soon to be renamed Candy Apple Grove, traditional amusement park area, and the Lion Country Safari, a partnership with the drive-thru safari company of the same name. A drive-thru version of this attraction would actually be previewed in 1974, the same year Kings Island would add their Lion Country Safari. A monorail would be added to the Virginia's Lion Country Safari and opened with the rest of the park in 1975. The name Kings Dominion was chosen, a callback to Kings Island and Virginia's old Dominion nickname. The park would open to the public on May 3, 1975, and proved that Kings Island's was a winning formula. Besides the Eiffel Tower and Rebel Yell, Kings Dominion included park staples like the Arrow Log Flume, this case called the Shenandoah Lumber Company, antique and modern car rides, the Blue Ridge Tollway and Wacky Wheels, SDC Galaxy Steel Coaster scooby-doo ptc junior coaster a Von roll skyride narrow gauge railroad and a beautifully restored 1917 ptc carousel relocated from rhode island's roger williams park Notably missing was an elaborate dark ride like King's Island's Enchanted Voyage. Although this was remedied when the park installed the elaborate Lost World Complex in 1979, a trio of three rides, an Arrow Flume, Dark Ride, and Chance Rotor, housed in an artificial mountain that would eventually become the volcano of the infamous volcano the Blast Coaster. Unlike the regional parks we've discussed so far this season, Kings Dominion wouldn't be the only park for its market. In less than two weeks after its grand opening in 1975, a competitor would open a little over an hour away in James City County, Virginia. Anheuser-Busch traces its history to the 1850s, with multiple German-Americans opening what would become the Anheuser-Busch Brewery in St. Louis, Missouri. Aldolfos Bush, one of the company's early employees, pioneered efforts in pasteurization and utilizing refrigerated train cars, and eventually became the company's first president in 1880. In 1903, Aldolphos and his wife purchased a 30-acre estate in Pasadena, California, a very fashionable place for many Midwestern uh, magnets to have a second home, which they landscaped beautifully and opened to the public as the first Bush Gardens. The property eventually fell out of the family's hands, but did establish an association between beautiful landscaping and the brand. By 1957, anheuser busch had become the largest brewer in the United States, and with breweries far beyond St. Louis. Part of this expansion included a brewery in Tampa, Florida, which opened in 1959. Inspired by the original Busch Gardens, and likely by popular Florida tourist attractions like St. Peterborough's, Berg's sunken gardens and winter Haven's cypress gardens bush announced that the new brewery would be designed with the intention to accommodate visitors and include botanical gardens and animal exhibits this combination of brewery tour and botanical garden proved wildly successful and bush expanded the park to include a large wildlife park dubbed the african veldt monorail for guests to view animals from, and an elaborate four-story old Swiss house restaurant throughout the 1960s. The success of the Tampa Park inspired Bush to develop similar projects at other breweries. In 1966, they would open Bush Gardens at their brewery in Van Nuys, Los Angeles, with a monorail tour and boat ride. The park would expand in 1972 to include additional animal exhibits, and notably for Bush, their first true amusement ride, an elaborate aerolog log flume with barrel-themed boats that wrapped around the entire park. The company would open Bush Gardens Houston in 1971, adjacent to the Houston Brewery which had opened in 1966. This Asian-themed park proved less successful than the other Bush parks, and while there were other factors, the popularity of Astroworld was one clearly that led to the park's struggles in attendance. So by the time Bush was planning a park for their new Williamsburg, Virginia Brewery, which they would open in 1972, it was clear that Bush Gardens would develop more in line with regional parks it was competing with. Concurrent with the development of Bush Gardens Williamsburg, the Tampa Park would see expansions and redevelopment into a truly African-themed park, culminating in the 1976 relaunching of the Tampa Park as Bush Gardens, The Dark Continent. In the late 1960s, Winthrop Rockefeller, the chairman of Colonial Williamsburg, approached Aldolphus Bush's son, August Anheuser Bush Jr., about developing a large tract of land in the Williamsburg area. Labeled Kingsmill, this tract of land had been sitting for a long time, and in 1960, Bush would acquire 3,000 acres and go on to develop a brewery, golf course, houses, offices, and of course a theme park. A European theme was chosen to reflect the old country, of which American colonialists came from, and the park was dubbed the Old Country, Bush Gardens, Williamsburg. The park's hilly wooded setting resulted in what remains one of the most elaborately landscaped theme parks in the world. In the newly environmentally conscious 1970s, Bush was quick to advertise their efforts to preserve trees and respect nature in the park's construction, that being said, the park's plans included the creation of a large mammoth Lake in the center of the valley that the park was situated in, to be dubbed the Rhine River. The Rhine River was then encircled by six hamlets representing four different European countries, England, Scotland, France, and Germany. Bush's focus on transportation rides can be seen in the park's design, with a railroad and unique tri- triangular Von Roll skyride connecting the park's original countries, as well as a monorail to take guests to the nearby brewery. The rest of the park's opening attractions placed it squarely in the regional park mold. The double-tracked Le Mans antique car ride, Lescoute Aero Log Flume, and perhaps most notably, the Glissade, a Schwarzkopf Jetstar coaster, which holds the distinction of being the first roller coaster at any Busch Gardens park. The old country placed a heavy emphasis on specialty shopping and dining, with locations appropriately themed to each European country, making the park more shopping mall than theme park at times. You could argue that Busch Gardens Williamsburg was almost a proto-Epcot World Showcase, bringing access to European-style food and culture to middle-class America in a way that was genuinely novel in the 1970s. Needless to say, the old country was a hit. It was clear that the handful of flat rides the park had opened with were inadequate to meet the demands from park guests. 1976 saw the addition of Oktoberfest, themed to the famous Bavarian Festival, and providing the perfect opportunity to add additional amusement rides to the park. Oktoberfest included Der Audubon, a bumper car ride, Der Audubon Jr., a kiddie bumper car ride, Der Rotobarren, the Red Baron, Der Wirbelwind, a wave swinger, Das Katchen, a herschen little dipper, and it's translate to kitten, and of course, Die Wildkatze, a Schwarzkopf wildcat coaster. This addition practically doubled the number of rides in the park and tripled the number of coasters. And you can actually argue it kicked off a friendly rivalry with King's Dominion, who would add the Apple Turnover ride um, for 1976, which was an Enterprise, and rebrand their Coney Island section as Candy Apple Grove. 1977 would bring the Coaster Wars to Virginia, with King's Dominion's addition of the King Cobra, the world's first Schwarzkopf shuttle loop, followed in 1978 by Kish Gardens' installation of the world's tallest roller coaster, the Loch Ness Monster, moving there parked squarely into the thrill ride world. The two parks have continued to coexist since. Their different approaches and focuses allow them to easily distinguish themselves in their shared market. The success of the Virginia project, as well as Busch Gardens Tampa's successful rebranding to the old continent, marked the end of the chain's third park in Los Angeles, which was landlocked. In 1979, the Van Nuys location would officially close to make room for the expanding brewery, and in 1980, Anheuser-Busch would be, would form the Bush Entertainment Corporation, a subsidiary to run their theme park assets. Bush Entertainment would go on to acquire various parks, including the SeaWorld chain in 1989. In 2008, Anheuser-Busch was acquired by the Brazilian-Belgian brewer InBev, who quickly sought to sell Bush Entertainment. The company would eventually be acquired by the Blackstone Group, and remains a major player in the industry as SeaWorld Entertainment. Similarly, the construction of King's Dominion would mark the last major theme park built in the U.S. by Taft Broadcasting, which would acquire Carowinds also in 1975. And eventually it would develop a subsidiary of their own, King's Entertainment Company, or Kiko, to run their theme park division. While Canada's Wonderland and Australia's Wonderland were still on the horizon, by the mid-1970s it had become clear that the regional park boom within the U.S. was reaching its limit, but not before a magnificent climax by one of the most renowned hospitality companies in the world. Tune in next week for part 7 of the regional park story, Marriott's Great Americas. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this mini-episode, please leave a comment or a rating wherever you are listening. You can find interesting articles, exclusive updates, and a range of theme park-related merchandise at thecoasterkings.com. For Coaster Kings, this is Ian O'Donnell. Join me next week as we continue exploring the regional park story. You could go to the lost world, say hi to Yogi Bear, or ride the mighty rebel yell, that is if you dare. You could go to a Broadway show and really have a ball, but I'll bet that you can't do it all. Ho, 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 bet you can't do it all. So much make-believe and magic, but you can't do it all. Ho, 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 but you can't do it all. At Kings Dominion, but you can't do it all. You can go on a safari, ride rides big and small, from the time shaft to the Wild King Cobra, bet you can't do it all. Go, <laughs>